Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt, we're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards it is a life-changing experience so here's how you enter go to outdooredge.com there's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. all you have to do is click on that go fill out some information i think your name your email address maybe some other stuff and that's all you have to do that's how you are entered they're going to be picking a winner oh a ways from now so you have plenty of time to enter Go visit OutdoorEdge.com, sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. We're still up in Northeast Montana at Elk Camp. And on this week's podcast, we've got our new buddy Chase Durden here with us. We've been elk hunting some with Chase. 
our conversation with him goes into wrestling. It goes into can a uh, can a little guy that's really trained in hand to hand combat beat a bigger guy. Most most of what we talked about was hound hunting up here in Montana. So we had a fun conversation with Chase that you're going to enjoy. Be sure to look up, check out, follow on Instagram, listen to the podcast of our friends at W Hunting Supply, Buddy Woodbury and his team. And when I say that, me and Colby have been there. Me and Colby have been up to the W headquarters and have have met these guys and gals. And they're all dedicated houndsmen. They know their products. And what I like about the W team is that they are they are dedicated to the hound sports. In more, they're, they're they're more than a business. They're a mission oriented business, and they also have the greatest customer service around. And they've got the greatest selection of hound related supplies that you're going to need from garments to dog leashes and collars to custom merchandise hats and shirts and everything. Hey, do yourself a favor. Check out W Supply. Call them on the phone. Ask them a question about your Garmin, and uh, you're going to be happy with these guys. Our buddies also over at the Western Bear Foundation, Joe Condellis and the Western Bear Guys. It's a nonprofit hunting conservation organization for bears in the West fighting the good fight for hunters and conservationists and for bears. These guys are a membership-driven organization. So by you joining the Western Bear Foundation, you are contributing to the mass of our way of life being preserved as hunters and as conservationists. So check out our good friends over at the Western Bear Foundation. You're going to enjoy this podcast from our elk camp in Northeast Montana. Boys, we are officially under the big sky the big night sky mm. of Montana. Yes, we are. The Man, sunset's gone, though. The sunset's gone, but we've got a beautiful crescent moon over here, and there's been a bunch of smoke up here. So mm. we're we're in uh, northeast Montana. Mm. Yep. Describe yep. about where we are, Chase. Say it's northeast central Montana. Okay. We're 150 miles from the Canadian border. Yeah, Ish. Yeah, 150-ish. Yeah. yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Well, we are, we're at elk camp still. And uh, we've got, uh, let me introduce the crowd to you. To my left, we've got one Bear John Newcomb. Bear, say hi to everybody. Hi. This is your second podcast in a row to be on. So yep. Bear has been like the camp gopher, camp videographer, camp... Uh, just hand. So we've been bossing him around, Chase, just making him do stuff. He's been pretty handy. Yeah. He uh I had him today go through all our tack and uh I had some leather conditioner. But so we got we got Bear and we got the Bear Tech Colby Moorhead. Dun, 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 dun. Colby's uh Colby's powering through. He's been uh taking the morning shift on all the elk hunts. Yeah. And the morning shifts have been the uh usually the exciting ones. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and then we've got new to the podcast, Chase Durden. That's great. Chase is our new buddy that we just met. Um, now we'd communicated a little bit before, but we just met really this week, and uh, 
you're a local up here, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been good to get to know you guys and hang out for a few days. Yeah. So you uh, you grew up right here in northeast Montana. Yeah, I grew up about uh, 20 miles from here. Yeah. From where we're hunting. And... Yeah. Well, you've been a you've been a big help to us. Just yeah. uh, you know, you kind of pointed us in the right direction a couple of times. Um, and, uh, and then this afternoon we hunted together. So, so we had, uh, several guys that left this afternoon. So only, only me and Colby and Bear were left at camp and Chase has been camping with us for about a day. And anyway, we all went hunting this afternoon, had a pretty exciting 20 minutes of elk hunting. Uh, man, it's tough when they only give you that short period of time, the last, just a little bit of daylight. It's and very I, tough. Yeah, and I feel like that's how it goes all the time. It was pretty quiet. I mean, I thought we weren't going to see anything, and then you spotted them bulls and with some cows, and I just decided I got a feeling, well, them guys are just now coming out. I better head over a ridge and go look over there and see what I could find, and ended up seeing a couple peek Closer out. Closer to us. Yeah, peek out, last 45, 50 minutes of light, and we had to go make a play. Yeah, and we and we weren't able to really do it. Um, no, if we just if we just seen them, you know, twenty minutes earlier, we probably could have. We could have made something happen for sure. Yeah, but it was a it was a cow and a bull over on our side of the hill. The tough part of this hunting is you you can see a long way, so you you often see elk, but it's hard to just it's hard to describe. But you might be three hundred fifty yards from elk, and there might be three ridges in between you and them and these elk are super prone to move they're just moving and maybe you know all elk do that but but you know by the time you get there they may not be there so it's a it's a challenge yeah i feel like this country is perfect for elk too they got the deep bluffs and cuts to washouts to just get behind and take off running and then they got these timber i mean we sat right above these elk all all night and didn't know it. and didn't know it they came out less than 150 yards from where i was sitting yeah so they've been sitting there all all night since we've been down there yeah no kidding crazy um so i want to talk to chase some about his uh lion hunting he's a houndsman lion hunter um and also some about the elk hunting around here but uh we learned something about you. You're a wrestler. Yeah. Or you wrestled in high school and college? Yep. Wrestled since I was three years old and continued on through high school, college. And... So you're telling me that, uh, so I was over here in a conversation y'all were having the other day. So a guy your size, probably, uh, what do you weigh? 140, 150? Yeah, about 145, 150. Okay. So let's say some big, like 200 pound tough guy. Shows up, starts giving you some lip. You got to take care of him. If he is untrained, you you feel handle, like I can handle myself. Yeah, I feel like I can handle myself. Really? Yeah. I had a guy one time, a good friend of mine that I really trust, who uh, is into uh, I think it's ju- jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's about my size. You know, I'm about one sixty five, one seventy, something like that. And he was talking about in the turkey woods, almost getting in a fight <laughs> with this big guy that they basically was on public land and there were and they were on the same ridge and uh, 
my buddy had no idea there was anybody around was working this turkey and all of a sudden he hears somebody walk in on him and they see each other and the guy gets mad at my buddy and comes over and puts his finger in his chest and the dude was like six to 50 pounds heavier you know and uh and my smaller buddy who was training jujitsu jujitsu said clay it would have been no problem for me to take that, <laughs> to take that <laughs> for guy some down. reason i always thought that was cool <laughs> and i believed him and they they did not fight in the turkey woods but uh would have been no big deal to they, take him down and i mean he, he was just so confident because i asked him i said man could you because i actually knew who the other guy was too yeah and i said do you really think you could have taken that guy and he was like clay it's not even a question <laughs> He, he said, somebody big like that might get some lucky, crazy, big swing in at first, you know, that just, like, knocks you out. He said, but aside from just sheer luck, he was like, I would have taken that guy down and made him cry for his mama in about 20 seconds. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah? That's jujitsu. That's what it was made for, for the, us little guys to be able to. Really? Is that right? Yeah. Handle the big guys. Do you ever watch any UFC stuff? Yeah, actually, uh, one of my good buddies that I grew up with and uh, wrestled in college with, he actually fights in the UFC, and he's oh, really? doing pretty well. Yeah, he just fought just a couple What's of weeks ago. What's his name? Hunter Azure. So he's hunting on, or he hunting, he's fighting like on the, like, on, yep, on the, if you're the, on UFC, he, like, he's in the that's UFC. pretty big. Yeah, he was time. on the t- contender series, and he got the contract. He actually lives uh, on the Poplar Reservation. Really? Yep. Did you ever fight him? No, I, I wrestled <laughs> with him plenty of oh, times. Oh, did you really? Yeah, plenty of times. Yeah, we practice. We practice together and stuff. And yeah, he's a good friend. Huh? Does he hunt? He does. He actually just shot a buffalo off the Fort Peck res. Just I want to say just a few months ago. Right yeah. yeah, he he's a, he hunts. He who's our who's our boy down in Arkansas that we like. <laughs> Thug Nasty. Thug Nasty. Yeah, do, you, actually, do you know Thug? Yeah. You heard, you yeah. Know, what, what's I'm his familiar. name? Bryce Mitchell? Yeah, yeah. And he's he's making big ways. He's doing really well. Yeah. yeah. Some crazy submissions. He's got to get, he wants those camo, he wants those camo fight shirts. Him. Did yeah, he? I, I saw on Instagram, he got him the other day. Realtree sponsored him. He, <laughs> they they hey. didn't give him some first light ones? No. Oh, <laughs> come on. Hey, he's in Arkansas. It's just a matter of time before uh, we connect with old Bryce here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys got to get him some. He, First light fight yeah, shorts. <laughs> that's what that's what we need for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I thought it was really interesting. So last night we're sitting around a fire with, uh, well, not a, a propane fire. We can't have fire out here right now. A real fire on the ground. Um, a cook stove, and uh, so there was two guys from California, and then Ben O'Brien from Maryland, and then you from Montana, and y'all are talking about wrestling, man. I wouldn't tell. I wouldn't know where to tell you to go to watch a high school wrestling match in Arkansas. I'm certain they have them. Bear, do you know if they have them? Yeah, they do. I know that FHS. Oh, really? Has one? Yeah. Those hippies up there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Man, we we just we didn't have we didn't wrestle, and I think it's a it it really is a foreign sport too. If 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 you're not you're either familiar with it and immersed in it, or you're just not. It's right. not it's it's not really a spectator friendly sport if you don't understand what's going on or have mm. so, in, some investment with the person that's out there wrestling. It's really yeah. Okay, tell us about your best fight, and then we'll move on to some cat hunting. Best fight, best well, match, well, best match. Well, 
<laughs> I, I mean, was, was there one that just like stood out? That Actually, was there, like... there is one that sticks out though. There were so <clears throat> I did pretty well as a little kid, and I didn't lose like very often at all. I just remember losing to this kid named Kelly Olds from Great Falls. Kelly, if you're out there. Yeah, he, I'll, I'll tell him to listen to it. <laughs> and uh, he beat me in high school. And we never, re- or as kids, just in grade school, and we never wrestled, but I always remember that loss for some reason. It was like mm. a big deal at like a sixth grade, like state yeah. championship. It was, but then in high school, we ended up wrestling one time only. And we went into like triple overtime and ended up winning that match. And that was like more important to me than winning State that year almost <laughs> beating that get, guy. Get that revenge from sixth grade. Beating that guy. <laughs> yeah. Now, you told me you wrestled up a weight class. So that's what you are talking about that I didn't understand. There's all these oh, weight yeah. classes. Yeah, a lot of different weight classes. Like in college, there's the lightest is 125. And I wrestled there quite often, but a lot of times I would have to wrestle up the next weight classes, which was 133. Both weren't very big guys, but. I was shocked to hear y'all talk about how you could lose like 12 pounds in a day. Yeah, yeah. It, you got a lot of water weight. You guys carrying a lot of water weight. Yeah. 10 pounds is probably pretty, pretty easy for the average person. The average person probably floats in their sleep four to five pounds every wow. night. Really? Just from the time you go to bed to the time you wake up in the morning, you'll lose four to five pounds without going to the bathroom or anything. Hmm. I think I'll lose two to three. Yeah, I'm probably about that too. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you're probably right on there. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I've, I've kind of monitored that kind of stuff, but I was shocked to hear y'all talk about how, you know, different people at different times have kind of cheated the system a little bit. Or maybe not cheated the system, but just like done crazy things to yeah, lose a ton people, of weight. That's probably the most unhealthiest thing about the sport is the weight loss thing. Getting yeah. and and a lot of people find out later on that they were help wrestling at their natural weight. They did better, anyways. Okay, yeah. but you were wrestling up and beating some bigger guys. Yeah, but a lot of those guys were not bigger, not real bigger. They're just either a little more muscular or maybe a little more t- little more height, but. Not real, real big guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Chase, you're a cowboy. You grew up on a ranch over here. You guys have 50 head of horses, and you yeah, train got, horses. Yeah, we got a lot of head. We got a lot of horses. We got some young horses training, and got some brood mares out of the place, and run some Black Angus cattle. And nice. Do, so you grew up on a horse. Oh yeah, grew up on a horse. Did you rodeo? Rodeoed, rode bulls. Did you? Yep. Did you do very good with that? I did all right, but my whole— You're built for a, to be like a bull rider. Yeah, my right leg's metal from the knee down. No way. Yeah, that's there. That's where the where I broke it from riding bulls, and everything's oh, all no. plated up. And Dang. Yeah. Is that on YouTube? No. I, I'm <laughs> sure it's somewhere. But, <laughs> but, yeah, grew up on horses and rodeoed a little bit, and, yeah, the whole family's— and you, and you grew up in a hunting family, too. Yep, yep. Everyone's hunted. Grandpa, mom, dad, aunts, he was, uncles. So we were telling, we were just kind of sitting around last night, and I said something. I brought up my uh, bear hide chaps, which I do mm-hmm. pretty often because I'm so proud of them. My hair out, bear hide chaps. And uh, Chase was like, my mom made her mountain goat out of, uh, or, or what you tell Yeah, what, yeah, she's got mountain goat, uh, that they got, I don't know, when I was just young, 
I, she might have, maybe before she even had kids, but uh, she's got a pair of mountain goat. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, let's see. Lion hunting, man. Tell me about what it's like. Is this good lion country over oh. here? You know, I haven't really reached my lion hunting far, far reach, but I I don't think I could be anywhere better when I can drive 20 miles from the house or or less and go put up a couple cats and be home by noon. I mean, yeah, I think that's pretty good. When does your see? When are you usually hunting them here? December first is when the season starts and ends. I think April 14th, and uh, I don't have a scheduled job, so I kind of go middle of the week as many times to end of the week i mean if i'm off work i'm going as much as possible and it's not uncommon i mean it's not uncommon to cut a track every time you go out and put up something now is that in snow or on dry ground we we get a little bit of both conditions we get and here in montana i mean as you're seeing we get some cold weather and some warm weather and it's same through december and last december through April was pretty mild winter, so we did a lot of, I would say it's a mix of, I wouldn't want to say dry ground, but frozen ground, bare ground, and uh, frozen bare ground, and a little yeah. bit of snow patchy. Yeah. Um, how do you uh, how do you find the tracks up here? You know, mainly we get around on snowmobiles or even just out of the pickup, there's a lot of roads fire roads or logging old logging roads that we can drive and usually you can cut a track from there but we do a lot out of the snowmobiles or side by sides and yeah pull a little sled behind the snowmobiles with the dogs in them and yeah colby and barry let us know if you got a question about this lion hunting what kind of dogs do you run i got a red tick and i got a blue tick oh fun yeah, both of them are just two year old, so they're both pups, and yeah, they're doing awesome right now. Yeah, well, you we were talking about your dogo. Oh yeah, talk yep. about him. What it, what did you ever do anything with him, or is he just kind of a you pet? know when I got into the line hunting, my dogo was already kind of tell us what a dogo is. I don't know what a dogo. He's is. a dogo Argentino. They're from uh, they're originated out of Argentina, and they were bred for boars and. Pumas, actually. Over really? There. Is it a tree dog? No, it's mm-hmm. not. It's uh, it's almost like a, it's a mastiff breed. They're large dogs, big blocky head. It looks yeah. like it looks like pit bulls on like steroids. Is that right? But, but they are. Dogo. They call yeah. them the perfect breed. They spent. They e- bred them out of eight different breeds. They combined their over a long period of time. Yeah, and they mm. and they put them to a test for a long time, and when they finally found like the right dog, because they had. At first, they were too temperamental because they bred some horrible dog. I don't, but it was a dog that literally extinct itself mm. just from aggression. So then they bred a another, yeah, bred another dog into yeah. it to try to bring the aggression down. So they spent a lot of time for, for temperament, yeah, protecting and agility. Yep, these dogs are very athletic. But he was just a little too old when I got going. He and uh, you know. I would like to take him with just to see what if he would tree or so you, so you never really hunted with him. That yeah, much. he uh, coyotes. That he he'll he'll go after coyotes. He does huh. not like coyotes, but he's they're they're really a versatile dog, mm-hmm. very hmm. versatile. Like we could take him out to the cattle and work around the cattle with him, and 
take him back home and he's you can yeah. throw a baby on him and he's they're very versatile dogs yeah huh. well, one of the smartest dogs we ever hunted with hog hunting growing up was a, a dogo now all the other dogs you'd you know round up whenever you caught the pig and they would still be going crazy and that dogo you'd pull him off and he's like all right my job's done yeah and he would just sit over there just all relaxed but whenever it was time he was just so like, you you know about dogos yeah why have you never told me about them i have not <laughs> come on colby they're cool they're real cool <laughs> they're why didn't you ever tell bear about them great question because i because i want to own one first <laughs> you're afraid we'd go buy one <laughs> no they they are great like farm protect like per, fam, they're great family dogs yeah, great yeah. great family dogs well, yeah one of the, the best stories that come out of uh, argentina is uh i think it was argentina but they were talking about how the the family dogo would you know the very protective i guess um so they the dogo was going with some this guy's daughters and it fought off i think a mountain lion yep and uh it lost one of its eyes but it you know i i don't remember if it actually took down the mountain lion or not they say it did they yeah. say it oh killed. you know this story too yeah it's a so famous is this story. like in the is this like in the dogjo brochure for there, puppies there, it's it, if, you, if you look I, it up it's crazy they have like a, the lineage is so short like the history they're not a this breed doesn't go that many years back. It's a very so you can really follow this history on this dog. I think you boys close. have been marketed and duped. <laughs> okay. no, no, I think no. I think y'all read the Dogo brochure and there was some fancy slick marketing probably from, you know, somebody. I, I'd say that one of the <laughs> We had a we mixed a or we didn't, but the guys we hunted with, they mixed a dogo with a uh half pit half lab <laughs> it's it's crazy but man one of the best dogs that they used that just was really well balanced was a quarter it was a quarter pit quarter lab and half dogo or something like that I'll be there. and uh his, his name was buckshot and he was so smart like he would go out there and uh he would he would bay until he had help and then he would go to go in and catch like he just knew when to do what hmm. and uh if a if it was big, he'd stay back. You know, he just he didn't. He got end up getting run over on a road, though. You know, hmm. highway got him. Hmm. Yeah, they're interesting. They're, they're great dogs. I'd like to take them with my hounds out lion hunting and see what see what he, see see if he even knows. Sounds this. like they were bred to be kind of bay and catch dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if he'd know what to do with the track. He'd probably just look at it and look at me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He might trail. He, he wouldn't tree. No. Well, our uh, I got to tell this story about our. Uh, so we've got a squirrel dog named Timber, and he's 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 earned the position of being the only dog we have that isn't pinned up or or you know contained in some way. And we let them out a lot, and they come in the house and stuff. But we have to kennel the, these hunting dogs most of the time, just because they'll go off and go hunting. But Tim, he sticks around the house, and uh, my wife just sent us a video. Tim is like the ultimate character of a dog. Like he's he's actually becoming a solid squirrel dog. Um, he's a feist, right? He's a feist and trinker, but he will sing to a harmonica like nobody's business. <laughs> you play a harmonica, impressive. and he he will sing like a like a angel. Arkansas's <laughs> American Got Talent. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, we've been uh, we've been watching videos of Tim while we were elk hunting today. But uh, no dogs. Um, 
so uh, what's a big cat for up here in northeast Montana? I would say the average tom, like a like a good mature average tom, would be around 150 to 160 pounds. Yeah. A big tom would be around that 180 mark. I think that 200 mark is maybe f- few and far between. There might be a couple of them yeah. roaming around, but yeah, that's a BC cat. <laughs> yeah, I I I feel like that's pretty uh, pretty standard. Do, would you say? Yeah, I, mean, I would like, say so. Most people would be like, I mean, if you were talking about Idaho or even New Mexico or Arizona, I mean. 150-pound cat's a big cat. A big cat, yeah. And a 200-pound cat is a world-class cat yep. anywhere you anywhere. go. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you know much about, like, do these cats up here make Boone and Crockett? You know, in the bear world and in the lion you world, know, there's certain places where they have bigger skulls. I took a cat last year, and I haven't got the skull back from getting beetled, but he should be done and dried and everything. But I wouldn't be surprised if he is close to Boone and Crockett. Definitely Pope and Young. I shot him with my recurve, but mm. definitely would be. Yeah. But there is, I, I know that there is an area <clears throat> in Montana that consistently is in the Boone and Crockett. Yeah. And I want to say it's over by Billings, like Yellowstone, like County or something okay. like that. Consistently yeah. is in the books for Boone and Crockett, but up in this area, isn't known for book cat. I mean, okay. I don't think there's a lot of guys that are turning it in though either. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, that's always been really interesting to me. With it's and it's the same way with bears is that there's there's certain sections of the continent that just produce big bears, and it's not because they live longer there. I mean, they do have to live long to to grow big skulls but but it's all just about regional genetics yeah and they're not necessarily the biggest animal either that's right it's not necessarily the biggest bodied animal just uh you know some some bears are gonna have you know exceptionally long skulls or exceptionally or they wide like, skulls you know and i'm sure it's the same for bears with cats i mean i'm not too familiar with the bear skulls but the cats is you might see a pumpkin headed cat but he just might be a healthy cat and have quite a bit of fat Right. And muscle built around. I think is, British Columbia is probably the go-to place for big book cats. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. There's an outfitter up there that I know of that consistently put up 200-pounders. Yeah. Cats. I mean, it's probably a little bit of uh, Bergman's Law. Are you all familiar with Bergman's Law about... Uh, I don't think so. For the, the farther from the equator you get, the big, larger the animal. That's right. I didn't know that. I didn't I know, know the I know that there's some <laughs> things that it seems to be true with and others that not so much, like right. moose and stuff they say. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just wonder if the big cats have anything... You know, I'm sure that. there I'm sure there is something to that too. Yeah. I just think colder temps too, you know, those They just the, have well I think they're always constantly in survival mode and having to eat and having to stay Yeah. on top of it whereas a cat that's living in weather like this through the summer, I mean, they might not have to roam so hard. Yeah. Do you see any trends in the way these cats move through this I, country? You, you do. And uh, there, I'm really lucky. Like right behind the house is like a hot spot for females. So come when the breeding season starts for them, which is really kind of random, it seems like. But it seems like we get a lot of the toms that locate. But you see mm. them really, 
they have a wide range, a yeah. very wide range. Yeah, yeah. They do they. Um, I think I think I've heard the same thing, and I, I've I've never spoken with a mountain lion biologist or anything, but but I think they can have kittens any time of year. I think so too. It's I, not. It's not like a bear or like a whitetail or an elk that that fawns or calves no, it, or get, has kittens at a certain time. No, that's what I mean. Like it seems like when a female comes into heat over by us, and it seems like we have a really strong female population over there. Yeah, by the house, and it seems like we get a couple toms that are resident toms for a few weeks at that females in heat, and then you might not see a tom for a month. Do you find that those cats, like like traveling, like where you find tracks? Do you find tracks in the Consistent, same places consistently? Consistently, really. So what? Tell a, me what. A lot of uh, a lot of the road crossing spots that we find them, you find that there's a creek bottom there that they might have been hunting that creek bottom, working that creek bottom, and then they'll cross a section and go up another logging trail or up a deer trail, or just a side road. Yeah. But a lot of the, and that's how a lot of the tracks are that we find, are they're either working the timber line, you'll just see them cutting back and forth through there where there's a heavy, small, like, two-track or something that's not traveled often. And yeah. Seems like they make one cross. But, yeah, for it, we do see this a lot of the same tracks in the same areas. Yeah. What's a long line race for you? Well, a long one would be my cat. We treat him once in 300 yards, and then he jumped the tree and didn't tree again for over seven and a half miles. Mm. Yeah. Was it a hot race after that? No. The dogs actually lost him for a second. Mm. Uh, we, we don't know how. I think we had too many pups cut in the race, and when that cat jumped, things just got crazy, and dogs ran over top of tracks and ran around. And, right. Uh, they just kept going, and we ended up cutting the track back again up on top, right by the pickup. The mm. the, the cat ended up running. So it made a big circle. Yeah, we had a couple dogs in the box. We heard them barking like crazy, and we ended up going back up top by the pickup, and he ran right by the pickup. And I think he ran so far because he cut through a, like, a stubble field, like an open field, mm. and just kept where there was no, like an old wheat field, and just, Nothing to tree, nothing to... So I just think he kept running. Yeah. But, yeah, for the our average race, though, I would say is anywhere from... Our average long race would be like a mile. Really? A mile and a half or so. Huh. They get a they they get a lot of country to run, it seems like. Well, what about the cold trail? I mean, wouldn't you cold trail them sometimes We longer? cold trail... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Our, our cold trailing can be... Uh, we do... Where, where I line hunt at, though, we have a good opportunity to kind of circle our tracks and say, okay, the cat is in this okay. area. Hey, just, let's take a minute and describe, like, someone that's never line hunted might not understand. So, let's say there's, you're in a, you're in a block of country and there's a road that runs north and south here, and then a mile away, there's another road that runs north and south, and a mile away, there's another road that runs north and south, and you cut a track on the one of these roads. And you could say the cat's running east to west. And so you go, well, let's go see if he's crossed yep, the crossed. other road. Yep. And you go drive the other road, and sure enough, he's crossed it. Yep. So you go, well, let's go east. Let's not start there. Let's keep going. So yep. you drive over, and you drive on the other road, and he hadn't crossed there yet. 
Yep. So you determine that he is still in between this road section. B and C. Yep. And so you go back to road B and, and turn out on that track. Exactly. Okay. So because there's less roads, you have shorter races because the houndsmen are doing some of the work. Yeah. Yep. And I think we get a lot of chance to help out our dogs. And these pups get a young, it's good for young dogs because they're getting to see a lot of cats and getting to work a lot of tracks and tracks that you can help them on. You make them work through it, but you're giving them a good fighting chance. Tell me what you mean by help them on. You get a you get a chance to say, hey, this cat is definitely in here. And when I cut you loose, I know that you should find him. But if you do not, I can get in there. And I know I can help you sort it out. So you're you be walking around looking for fresh tracks in the snow. Yeah. You see a track, you call the dogs over. Yep, and help them out a little bit. So that, that's what that means. Yeah, I like to lay, I like to let my dogs work a little bit before I call them over, just so they're not so quick to rely on yeah. me standing over top of the tracks. So when the going gets tough, they're not looking at me. Yeah. I like to I'll, I'll go and stand by it, but I like to see what they do if they if they get sorted out. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm really intrigued by lion hunting. You know, I, I coon hunt, and, and the line of dogs that I have are from a long line of big game dogs, bear and, and lion dogs. My dogs, we've only run coon with in Arkansas because that's all that's legal there. But, uh, man, there's something really intriguing to me about lion hunting. And I, I, think, I think it has a lot to do with just the incredible animal that a— uh, mountain lion is i mean just the fact that we've got this 150 pound cat in north america that's one of the most well the most efficient predator on our continent is would you all say that's true yeah i, I mean would, have you heard that heard people say that before? i would say that's true too and i would and i i'm drawn to them like that because the simple fact is how many people can you honestly say have seen a mountain lion mm-hmm. right and you could count on probably less than one hand on how many people have been out in the woods and seen a mountain lion. Right. There's such an elusive... You can live in good mountain lion country your whole life and never see one. I mean, nothing beats taking a person to see their first mountain lion. Yeah. I mean, first time they look up in that tree and see a cat that size and... It's it's cool. Barry, you would never want to do that, though. (laughs) Is that right? That is not right. That is not right? You do want to do that? I do. You know what? I have uh, I have seen one mountain lion uh, that wasn't being pursued by dogs or something in British Columbia. Yep. I was. We were spring bear hunting in British Columbia. Just total chance. Just driving down the road to go bear hunting, and a and a lion jumps out in the middle of the road, sees us, and runs down the middle of the road for probably a hundred yards. And how many days and hours do you think you've spent in the field around mountain lions? And that's the only one well, that you've seen. Here's you know? what I think is I think I was extremely lucky. Yep. I don't think uh, if you did, looked at the statistics and the time I've actually spent in really good lion country, I, I, I think I got lucky. I, I say the same thing. I mean, I can't even count how many countless hours riding a horse or being in lion country hunting elk or mule deer or even with the dogs that just you I've never – I ne- I've seen two without them. Really? Without Just them. crossing the road? Yeah, two, two, two cats. You know what's them. funny about that? Everybody, and they're probably 70%, this is my big pet peeve about people from the South, 
is that uh, about 70% of uh, people in Arkansas say they've seen a mountain lion. <laughs> Bear, have you figured that out yet? I have, Everybody yeah. thinks they've seen a mountain lion, and we don't even have them. No, nah, yeah. we do have, we have a few, Chase. Yeah. Just in the last couple of years, it's like officially been documented that we have That's a good step in the right direction. in Arkansas. A guy mm-hmm. killed one uh, down in South Arkansas. While he was deer hunting, killed a lion, called Game and Fish. He's like, hey, I shot this thing. And um, and uh, I have some buddies um, in southwest Arkansas that uh, for a while there were pretty regularly sending me uh, lion photos. Like, it, it takes a lot to convince me. Like, if somebody sends me a lion photo and is like, hey, I got this on my trail camera in, you know, western like- Arkansas – Unless I know them and know their character. You're like, did you get that off the internet? I'm just like, <laughs> well, okay, man. Well, this was one of my good friends who I knew was telling the truth. And it, the he was getting cell cam pictures under a deer feeder, which is classic southwest Arkansas, a tripod deer feeder. <laughs> and uh, he sent me the picture like two minutes after it was taken. Oh, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the timestamp on it was like, holy cow, that was like, 10 minutes ago. Um, and uh, anyway, so there are lions. But I'm being funny when I say everybody in Arkansas says they've seen a lion because they, they do. People are like, so many people are like, yep, I heard a mountain lion screaming back behind my grandma's house. <laughs> That's what people say, and I I just I just don't buy it. I don't either. <laughs> I don't buy it. You know, how many times have you heard a mountain lion scream not in a tree. I know they uh, do honestly, in a tree. Honestly, I don't even. I don't even know if I have in a tree. I've heard them. Is hiss, that right? Yeah, hissing. But I don't know if I even have in a tree. Okay. A lot okay. of the lions we catch go to sleep. Really? Yeah. Just get up there and yeah, lay down. Yeah, and I kind of did some research into it, and I think it's just like wired into them. You know, that was it's like we talked about with other animals, like how they feel safe when they're up in a just a stress. Yeah, just a. Just, once they're up there, well, you know what? A, a, a coon. When you tree a coon, many times they will lay up in the tree and shut their eyes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that they're sleeping, but but they. I I think I don't. They certainly don't have the ability to reason that their eyes glow when humans shine light in their eyes. But that's what it feels like. It yeah. feels like they're hiding and they know their eyes shine, and so they shut their eyes and just lay there. But you know, it's just a. For a coon, I would assume it's a it's a fear response, protective response. Yeah, might be the same thing with a cat. Might I be. I don't know. Yeah. Some of those big bears, these guys tree, uh, and most of the time a big bear won't climb a tree, but uh, they'll stay on the ground. But sometimes they'll say a big bear will just, I mean, he'll just be up there, just like doesn't have a care in the world, you know. Just some of the little ones will be moving around, and you can tell they're kind of that's definitely nervous. Yeah, that's definitely you see this a lot of similarities that way. When you catch a younger cat, it seems like they can't pick a branch or pick a pick they're a spot to that, move that, around. Yeah, they're wanting to crawl around that tree or jump out of the tree and go. And to these it. are pretty short trees around yeah. here for the most part. Yeah, yeah, they're it's nothing for a cat to climb up. Six feet is all. Seven feet is all, and just get out of the get yeah. out of the reach of the dogs. Yeah, get out of the reach. Do you of ever? Do you eat much mountain lion? Yes, I do. Every chance we get, if someone doesn't want their cat, or just wants a couple pieces of it, I we collect everything. Yeah, Colby, and, have you ever had mountain lion? I have not. Bear John? Yeah, we. Whenever you killed yours, we 
Do you remember how we cooked it? I remember we cooked it a lot of different ways. Yeah. Because we had a whole mountain lion, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we cooked. I remember we cooked one. We cooked one part of the loin like a kind of treated it like a pork loin in, yep. a, in a crock pot. Put like yeah. vegetables and and a little chicken broth in there and just kind of let it cook all day. And that was great. Um, my uh, my wife's some of my wife's coworkers came to our house, like twenty five of them, and uh, I fed them uh, grilled mountain lion and bear steak off just a charcoal grill and uh they loved it did they not bear yeah they did we did pulled pork sandwiches uh some steaks it uh i guess it'd be pulled puma sandwiches or <laughs> pulled puma. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but it's uh yeah there's it there it's very versatile meat and it's 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 great meat it's uh so lion meat is very very light colored I mean, like a chicken porkish color. Yes, of meat. Yeah. yes, and very fine grained. Yeah, very fine grained. It's it, it. I feel like it's finer grained than pork, but uh, yeah, great stuff. What's the What's the biggest cat you caught up here? I would say my cat was probably the biggest cat we caught, and he was about 165, 170 pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was probably the biggest cat that I think we've caught. The rest of them. They're hard to wait in a tree, so. But yeah. We've, we've caught some big ones. And and then how did you get into uh, running hounds? Because I, I seem to remember when we were talking yesterday, you said that your your parents didn't have hounds. No, I didn't grow up with hounds. Uh, my buddy down the road who we elk hunt with and I was camping with earlier this week, uh, him and his family ran red bones. And I remember going over there every time they had puppies and every time they would go, I would big to go with them they dragged me along every now and again and i always said man as soon as i have my own place the first thing i'm getting is hound dogs <laughs> and i bought my house and not long after came hound dogs <laughs> yeah did you stick with some of the lines from around here no actually on a whim we i feel like i'm so lucky with that the first dog i got we I started doing a bunch of research and kind of figured out some guys who had some good dogs and found out there was a litter in Wheatland, Wyoming from a line of dogs. And it's kind of like that blue tick lining, but he's got it that my blue tick does have a little walker in him, but he's from like that Cameron blood and uh, pretty heavy Cameron blood. And I heard from a few people that these guys, dogs did great. So I was like, well, we'll reach out. And I kind of wasn't that serious but I was, well, you you were playing the, yeah, you were playing the slogan. Yeah. So I asked them and they said, yeah, we got some. And I was like, okay, well I'm interested in one and told them we'd get one. And I didn't plan. I planned on having it shipped up here. Well, the girlfriend couldn't wait a day. She drove all the way from Wheatland, Wyoming. I think it's 16 or 18 hours somewhere between there. Drove all the way down there and had to pick up that puppy. She was just as excited to have one at the house, so she picked up that puppy and came straight home, made a whole round trip in a day. Awesome. Wow. The Cameron line of blue ticks, are they known as big game dogs? Big game dogs, yep. yep. Yeah. Dale Cameron just passed earlier this year, so 
kind of interesting to see what happens with all that bloodline. A lot of people run that Cameron bloodline. You know what? I've been looking, and maybe somebody can help us out if they're listening to this podcast. You know, we have a legendary bear hound column in Bear Hunting Magazine, our print magazine, where we uh, every issue we we basically do a story on the de- deceased bear dog, legendary bear dog, and uh, I've. I know a lot of guys have used the Cameron dogs for bear yep. in the West, and I've been want I've wanted to find somebody that that had a dog that you know we could hook up with a write good, a story a guy, about, but we haven't. A guy who has a good blue tick dog out of a lot of that Cameron. Have you heard of that Steve Phipps? No, he has some really good blue tick dogs. People are pretty high on. He's out of that Utah area. Okay. Actually, that's who we're thinking about getting our next pup from we've been talking to him back and forth and a few guys run his dogs up here he has a dog that he was pretty high on that passed away and i think his name was frost or something freeze Mm. something like that but he ran camera his bloodlines are heavy cameron bloodlines that old school big headed big eared yeah block ear blue ticks yeah um what size are your dogs uh my red tick and he came from New Mexico. I actually got him as a nine-month-old pup. I was kind of talking to a guy named Mike Leonard. Quite a few houndsmen know him in the big game world. And uh, was talking back and forth. And he's like, I got too many pups. We just had a big old wreck tonight. Dogs and pups running all over the place. He's like, I'll give you a pup. And everyone in the hounds world knows what I'll give you a pup means. It's usually not a good one. Mm. But I took him on and... He's about 40 pounds, and uh, my blue tick, he's about 50 pounds. He's, they're bigger dogs. Okay. Well, I, I, I would say that was – I was figuring you'd say they were bigger than that. You know, they're two years old, and I think they're going to fill out bigger. I bet you that red tick fills out to be about 50, and that blue tick fills out to be about 65, yeah, 70-ish pounds. I like to – they're both in phenomenal shape, though them dogs they they stay pretty we i'm lucky i live in a rural area and my dogs they hardly ever are penned up yeah i got i got 20 acres of my own and then there's a property right behind us that it's just open and they they let us they don't mind our dogs the other neighbors don't mind our dogs so we kind of just keep an eye on them and as long as we're out about doing stuff they're free to roam yeah and then we we run them pretty regularly three to four days a week and yeah they stay in pretty good shape that's great man that's great well i'm uh yeah i look forward to see how your uh how your lion hunting goes this this kind of country would be prime it just feels like it would be a fun place to lion hunt you know i've the only place i have i have lion hunted is in idaho northern in the panhandle of idaho which is great lion country and uh, it was it was with my friend Leon Brown, Clark Fork outfitting up there, and uh, we had a great hunt with him um, about three or four years ago. And uh, but boy, that's tough country. I mean, it's straight up, straight down, big mountains, um, which is cool. Um, and not that this would be any easier. It just feels like uh, more accessible. It is more accessible. I, you know, do you ever? tree a cat over on the other side of a canyon and glass it up to see it before you get there very rarely but we we do every now and again but everything's so accessible here and 
you find yourself with the Garmin saying, okay, we know where they're at. So just making your loop around, you know, but. Yeah. 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 And then you guys run Bobcats sometimes too, right? Yeah, we get Bobcats and uh, you have to buy your trapper's license mm. in October to be able to take a Bobcat. That's, oh, okay. that's your, that's your stipulation. So you have to buy it for October 1st. So coming up here soon, people yeah. need to be buying there. Yeah. Hey, you get. I heard you talking to Bryce earlier about something you do with your. You did with one of your pups trying to get it to tree better. Do you remember what you you, yeah, you were talking? Yeah, Bryce was having the same problem I was with that red dog. He came from dry ground bud lines, which actually so did his red dog that he's having trouble with. And a lot, I started doing a bunch of research. These old houndsmen were saying, "Yeah, these old these older dry ground bloodlines are not great." They're not great tree dogs. Yeah. They're great running dogs, but not the greatest tree dog. And tree dog would mean that uh, when they smell game that has gone up a tree, they stay at the tree and bark. And, but a yep. good tree dog, that's what he's going to do, whether he's it don't matter. bear, coon, lion, he's going to stay at the tree and bark. And that's got to be something that's somewhat natively in them i mean you know in their bloodline but what you were but you can you can encourage it yeah i was telling bryce what i did was so i did a lot of research and the guys were doing it various different ways but the way i was finding guys said that they had the most success was when you get him up in a tree with the other dogs let him get excited pet him up bring the other dogs away and if he tries to leave that tree just give him a little bit of a vibrate or you know tone no, yeah. just a little bit of stimulation saying, hey, no, that's not, I don't want you to come back to this tree. And then he gets back on the tree, give him a, pet him up again, and let him know he's doing good. And then, then tie him up to the tree or tie him up close to the tree and lead all the other dogs away. And hopefully that dog is staying treated. And if he tries to leave again, give him a vibrate. And if he goes back to the tree and say, hey, come back up there, pet the dog up and say, good job, dog. Yeah. And uh, I did that for two, three trees in a row and... Pretty soon that dog has been treeing great ever since. Yeah. You know, you're, you're as a trainer, dog trainer, or any kind of animal trainer, you're just trying to find a way to communicate to that animal what you want it to do. And a mule, a horse, a dog, all he knows is, uh, well, with a, with a horse or mule, it's pressure and release. But with a dog, it's, it's praise or no praise no praise or getting scolded yep. i guess there's three yep. there's three things there but uh yeah i don't think you could you could train a dog to I, i've had a lot of people ask me well do you think i could train my you know my german wire hair to you know be a coon dog and it's like no you, you couldn't i mean you just you know you might be able to train a real smart dog to do something but there's a part of it that's bred into them, but it we had the trainer, the handler, you know, works to try to enhance that in, as much as possible. And every dog's different. Like I, one thing I didn't tell Bryce was this dog was very timid. Like he's not a dog that I can scold even. If I yeah. scold this dog, shuts down. Shuts down. It's the he's gone. It yeah. doesn't do me any good to scold. Like, no shocking stimulation at all to this dog. This dog doesn't get any of that because he just doesn't respond to that. Yeah. It's all praise or no praise with him. So a lot of, like, that's why I stuck with just the vibrate. Just give him something, say, hey, no, 
Because a lot of times at home, I tone my dogs. And if they don't listen or they can't hear me or if the tone didn't get their attention, I'll hit the vibrate button and they both know, hey, we better go home now, wherever they're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could tell, like, the way that you talked about your dogs yesterday, you really are patient with them, you know, and uh, work with them and just, you know, give them time to come into things, even the way that you invite them into the family and stuff. Yeah, I was telling Clay that earlier today about just horses. That I find myself being more patient with animals than I do with people. (laughs) I just think they're they're a lot easier to deal with. You know what you're getting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and my dogs are a part of the family. I mean, my dogs, they're 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 tools, but they are a part of the family. Yeah. They definitely, I mean, there's no such I don't think I don't think if I if I had 15 dogs and only two of them hunted. Let's just say I'd still have 15 dogs cuz I wouldn't be able to get rid of any of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chase, do you have any insight into like what you think needs to be developed or changed inside the broader hound hunting community so that our our image our our the way we communicate with the world who we are would be better received and understood so that this this sport would continue as game management you know and actually kind of from being an outsider in a sense not growing up with hounds all my life Mm-hmm. I always seen the, you hear houndsmen are like, forgive me, but high school girls, you know, mm-hmm. bickering back and forth. Oh, I got the best dogs. Oh, this guy, oh, this guy, he kills everything. Or this guy, this, this guy runs everything. Like, it's this hard for somebody to say something good about you. Exactly. Else. So when I came into it, I made a point that I wasn't going to be a part of any group. That yeah. if this guy wanted to run with me. Or didn't want to, I would make myself available to everybody. Yeah. That if I can go with you, great. You know, if I can help you out, great. If I find a track, let's run it together. Yeah. Just because this sport already in just the hunting, you talk about all the time, low-hanging fruit, you know. Right. And guarding the gate. It's just that we need to do a better job of lifting up each other and helping people get into the sport. I mean, yeah. there's people that want in, but it's intimidating. I mean, yeah. owning a dog is intimidating enough, but... It's a big commitment. It is. Mm-hmm. A, it's a huge commitment. But getting uh, somebody involved and taking them along, it goes a long ways. I mean, there's so many people that I know that have never even thought about hound hunting, including my own family, that I, since I've taken them, they've learned so much about the sport to where now when they have a conversation with somebody, it's an educated conversation about it. Yeah. You get yeah. a chance to educate somebody about the species you're chasing, about the process. Like I have a drive track system and I have the handheld system and mm. I always give my handheld to whoever we're with. Mm. I don't care where my, I can, I'll figure out where my dogs are. But I like them. You to want be, them to be involved. Yeah, in the I want hunt. them so that's to your feel tracking system, so they could track the dogs, yeah, and they, understand what's going on in the race. Yep, and kind of get, see the layout of the land and see how things work, and maybe what they're doing, and looking down and saying, "Why are these dogs doing all these circles up here?" Oh, well, they probably lost it and they're working it out or something. Yeah. You know, yeah, kind of just getting involved, and I just think we could do a better job of bringing people in and 
lifting each other up. Yeah, man, that I that's very very well said. And uh, I think it takes people saying that kind of stuff and then living it, not just saying it, but living it that that changes the culture. And 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 I don't know what it would be. It's probably in many things in life, but for some reason the hound community does have that reputation. I don't I don't really know why, but of guys being kind of competitive and you know, if one guy has good dogs, he's he has a hard time complimenting somebody else's dogs and you know, that's just an old world mentality, you know, that we've got to just brand and just the next the new generation of hunters that's coming up, you know, it's just like we're for each other. If there's a successful houndsman down the road from you, that's a win for you. It's not a loss for you. Even if he's hunting the same ground as you. And, you know, it, I, I think the whole the lifting up and communicating, you're getting a chance to communicate with that guy down the road. Maybe if you don't like something that he's doing, instead of talking about it to somebody else, maybe go hunting with him and yeah, do things a little, show him something a little yeah. different. Yeah, I, I I think we've got to clean ourselves up. I mean, if, because what's happening in the world today is we live in a we live in a world of information. We live in a world with no secrets. Yep. Like used to, houndsmen and hunting in general could kind of hide back in the shadows. Nobody really knew what was going on except for us, and uh, we can't do that anymore. I mean, the world knows like everything now is exposed. And, uh, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just the nature of the world we live in. So all of a sudden, we have to become really good at telling our story. And telling our story goes right down to the to the fabric of individual relationships that people have. Like, you know, you saying, you know, you've introduced your family into, in a positive way to hound hunting. Yep. And so when they're in a conversation at the baseball game or the wrestling match, if you're way up here, um, and someone says something about hounds, they go, yeah, man, Chase runs hounds and it's great. And we, you know, it just, it casts this positive light as opposed to someone that doesn't understand. And, you know, you would just have to tell our story. You wouldn't believe how many times that that actually did happen. Like at high school basketball games, my little sister, when she was in high school, that the coach would say, oh, I see you. your dad showed me a picture of a cat. He's like, that's just crazy. I didn't know that they were around. And mm. you get to talk to him about it and stuff. And then someone else would be like, you know, I didn't know that there were so many lions and stuff. Like, that's pretty cool. Are they scary? Or, you know, you just get a chance yeah. to explain what's around and what they are. Well, I mean, that, yeah. that they're among us. Yeah, so you spend a lot of time educating people. Yeah, I try to the best of my ability whenever I get a chance to. I mean, I work at the railroad, and there's guys that get locked in a train with me for 12 hours, and they get to hear it one way. <laughs> That's what they hear about. <laughs> yeah. what, what's your what's your favorite what's your favorite thing to hunt? You know, lions. I and for okay. the simple fact, I teed him up. That's yeah. what I figured he'd say. <laughs> I wasn't trying to bait you into that. I I, did, I thought you might say bow hunting elk in September. You know, I do love that, but nothing beats. Anything with hounds and anything with dogs in general. I just love dogs. Yeah. So anything where you can, and I mean, anything that you can bring a kid to and he doesn't have to be quiet. He could be drinking hot chocolate and eating candy all day and riding around in a snowmobile or going for a walk. A lot of action. A lot lot of of action. A lot of movement. You're getting to pet up. Bear, you would never want to do that, would you? (laughs) 
I would. Oh, you would. Okay, okay. Yeah, they get to pet up the dogs. You know, it's a it's a very involved sport where you can really impact somebody. I mean, it makes an impression. Yeah, yeah. Really well, cool. there's there's a lot of skill that, uh, and, and it's so counterintuitive. Like to the person that knows nothing, that has no context for hounds and and being a houndsman and running big game, and specifically lions. People have this idea. And, I, and I'm I'm not talking about it in the hunting community. I think we're we're turning the tide on this wrong philosophy. People are like, "Oh wow, it's so it's so easy to to tree game with hounds. That's taking away the hunt. It's not fair chase. All these ridiculous old world ideas. But when in fact it's actually totally opposite." A hound, you know, I've said it so many times and in so many places. A lot of the houndsmen that I know are some of the best outdoorsmen in hunting. I would agree. I mean, because the dedication that you have to understanding the game that you're after, because it's not just the dogs that are doing the work. I had a real good houndsman tell me one time when I was training a young coon dog that wasn't getting out and hunting quite as good as I wanted her to. I just wanted to be able to turn that dog loose in the middle of town and it just go and find the coon out, you know, along. And he, he said, Clay, part of being a houndsman is putting your dog close to where the game is, you know? And he, he was like, you need to become a better coon hunter and you'll make that dog a good coon dog. And, uh, you know, I took his point and, uh, but, but his point is, is that, there's a lot more that goes into it than just turning some dog loose and it goes in trees. A lion, the dedication of that dog, understanding lions, understanding where they are, understanding scent, understanding the lay of the land, uh, understanding uh, the prey movements. I mean, like, you're not going to look for lion tracks in places that are void of big game because, you know, they got to eat. You know, there's just, there's a lot to it, you know. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of parallels to that. I mean, the dogs, they have to be smart. They're not just running out there and chasing everything. They got to sort through rabbits, foxes, coyotes, deer, elk, moose to find that lion in good conditions and bad conditions. And it you could it takes a lot for a dog. Them dogs are athletes. These dogs put in a lot of work exercising their yeah they got to be incredible athletes yeah and same for coons i mean them dogs their locating ability then just being able to go find a coon that swam across the creek or across the river and yeah yep well there's a there's a lot more to it than just turning loose a dog a lot of skill a lot of a lot of dedication involved in it and uh, and that's what i have seen seen it with my own eyes with a lot of guys so uh it's pretty incredible but man we're gonna try to kill an elk in the morning we've got one morning left and then we're heading out we got one morning left but i think we got ourselves set up good for a good morning yeah we so this afternoon we saw we saw a very large bull probably a mile away in a place that we can't hunt but we feel like it's possible that he's going to come into Ours. Where we can hunt. Yep. And uh, because he did it yesterday. Yep. Uh, we saw this bull on our side this morning. He quickly crossed over into the place we can't hunt. Um, but we also saw a nice a nice bull 
on our mountain. Yep. Right at dark. We didn't spook him. We figure he'll be in there somewhere. He's got to be. Got to be in there somewhere, I would think. He looked pretty comfortable. Didn't look like he was moving anywhere too crazy. Yeah. So, man, we just need we just need a little bit of luck. And uh, maybe on the last morning, who knows? There's no, tough. Be- no, been- no better way to do it, though. Last morning. Last morning. Then we got a long drive home, Colby. Yup. You're going to have fun driving while I sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. Get I'm home, kidding. get ready for bear season. Yeah. yeah starting up this weekend, right? Yeah. We're yeah. going to get home and turn around and go bear hunting. Yeah. Bear season, deer season. It's all swinging up. Yeah. Exciting time of year. It for sure is. This time next year, maybe Barrett's sharing some of the driving. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not that him. old yet. Oh. Well, I can drive right now, just if I. Right we need there. to. We need to get you tuned up on pulling the trailer. Yep. Hopefully, we can get the trailer out of here. <laughs> I think we can. It's gonna be. Fun. I think so. We got it in here. It's a pretty <laughs> rough road getting our little trailer in here. There was no turning back. It was either forward or. Let's just say was I was surprised when I seen the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that trailer has been some places, man. It's brought brought a lot of joy and amazement to everyone that's driven by. This I think week. so. <laughs> These they, guys did what? <laughs> I think they think the pickup somewhere off an edge somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Well, thanks, Chase. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been uh, great hanging out with you. And appreciate the help and. Uh, Good luck with your lion hunting this year, and, and hopefully we'll have good luck elk hunting in the morning. Yep, thanks for having me on. Right on. Bear, any closing thoughts? Nope. You, I can tell you don't want a lion hunt. <laughs> Colby, closing thoughts? I can tell you don't want a lion hunt either. <laughs> <laughs> Pull those words back into your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Colby's ready to go, man. He's ready to go. I'm so uh, I'm so jived about line hunting. I might try to climb the tree and do something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> just climb the tree to get you know just a close to the action. Cat's eye view down. of what it'd be like to be treed. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like an old Jerry Clower uh, joke, except for a mountain lion instead of a lynx. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. Where the cats live. <laughs> <laughs> Was that you, Bear? <laughs> go, go me like that. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. 
So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle.